Hello! And welcome to Scary Podcast to Tell yo. in the Dark. Y- yo what? Just, you know, yo. Just yo? I don't know, you want me to fucking go yo gabba gabba? What do you want from me? Well, you already did it, so now it's on the books. So yo it's... gabba gabba to everybody out there in gabba gabba land. I, I haven't watched yo gabba gabba. I assume that's where they live. This a scary podcast to tell in the dark, a fun and casual and light conversation between two friends about horror movies, games, genre, whatever. I'm one of your lovely hosts for the evening, John Charles. And I'm Barbara Dieselbrand. And this week on the show, we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, we're actually going to be doing our very first uh, of hopefully many more to come listener questions mailbag episode uh that's a mouthful. yeah we're gonna be taking fucking your words and spitting them out of our mouths but we won't just be spitting them out we'll be taking them and jamming them through our brains like like an episode of reboot or something and processing them just configuring it into something more delicious and less gooey and hopefully entertaining for you why would you want it to be less gooey though yeah well you want you you don't want our goo. You want your own goo. You want our thoughts covered in your goo. That's the plan. That's no, the they idea. do. What they do want our goo. You want our goo. Fine. I guess we're selling goo now. Just go to www.gunami.com. Gunami.com backslash scary hyphen podcast hyphen dash backslash www.buyergoo.edu and you too get, can get, order get good 2020 you can order an entire gallon-sized jug of our delicious idea goo but folks we're not here today to sell you our goo though you're always welcome to buy our goo you lovelies out there in real world internet space have written us some awesome letters questions left your comments and Today is going to be all about taking those letters and reading them. You've you've written in some awesome questions about uh, our thoughts and our experiences on horror and movies and all sorts of other things. And, you know, we thought this would be a fun way to kind of let you guys get to know us a little bit better, take a little bit of a break from the whole movie thing, though, you know, it's, it's still good. We're, we're still talking about the movie, so we're getting back to that. Don't worry about it. But this, this is all about questions, so we're just cutting straight to the personal stuff. Getting straight from uh, our mouth to your ears. Yeah, and I feel like we've got a one here that I think is a pretty good starting point for the evening. Oh, go right ahead. Kick it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just an easy one to start with, which is from at OneWayBabyLane1 on Twitter.com, which says, Can't do a horror podcast without talking about favorites, games, movies, what are your thoughts on horror being blended into other genres like sci-fi, like in the movie Annihilation, for example? Um, so yeah, just generally asking about faves, it seems. Um, JC, you got anything? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I can go first for this. Um, favorites, favorite favorites. Um, well, right off the bat, I know as far as movies go, um, some of my favorites, uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of... Um, the Evil Dead movies and Sam Raimi, so I love Evil Dead 2, I love Army of Darkness, um, I also really, really like, um, shoot, what's that movie called? It's called Brain Dead in the UK, and it's called Dead Alive in America. I like Dead Alive, oh, I like Evil Dead, so Army of Darkness, good. Dead Alive, as far as more serious stuff goes, uh, I love, I love, kick love, love ass for the Lord! <laughs> oh my god, that guy, that guy rules, I don't know where he He's is so now. He's so fucking cool. 
Oh my god. If you haven't if you haven't seen it, Brain Dead is Dead Alive is a really good time, but it is a gross, gross movie. We will cover that at some point on this show, but that is one 100%. of the most like it is one of the most like unbelievable, outrageous horror comedies I've ever seen. That is so not for everybody, but for the people it's for, it's so good. But outside of comedy, I know off the top of my head, I am a really, really big fan of John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, I might even go as far to say that that might straight up be my favorite horror movie. Um, how about you, Barb? Any any uh, horror movies that you or you're a big fan of? Um, one that I feel like I'm con- constantly evangelizing is um, Return of the Living Dead. Um that movie is, I would say it's probably borderline horror comedy. It's definitely got a little bit of comedy in there, though I'm not sure if it goes as far as things like The Evil Dead. But um, it is just a nonstop, like it. it is one of those horror movies where things start going and momentum gets going with bad shit happening and you just see this group of dipshits get in deeper and deeper shit throughout the movie and it is just amusing seeing how simple it all starts and how bad it gets by the end of the movie Uh, Uh, on top of that just having some incredibly memorable lines and performances and honestly my favorite zombie in all of um zambo movies in my honest opinion uh, he's it, it, only this before. What is it? It's uh, the Mud Man, is it? The Tar Man. There we um, go, the which, Tar Man. And on a little factoid about the movie that I always find amusing, Return of the Living Dead was the very first movie um, to actually have zombies hungry for brains. To, where they act, you know, they said out loud, you know, brains, and where they explicitly ate brains. Before that, it that wasn't the thing. This was the movie that made that a thing. Well, that's one of those movies that took advantage of the fact that um, there was no copyright on Night of the Living Dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was by... Um, I'm, I can never remember the fucking director's name. I'm awful at that. But it was by... Um, it was directed by one of the... Another person who did work on um, Night of the Living Dead. Um, it was, to my... If I remember correctly um i haven't done prior research on it before this episode um but if i remember correctly um basically romero and the director of return had kind of a gentleman's agreement where um romero took um simply of the dead whereas um the other director took of the living dead so you got return of the living dead one, two, three, etc. Um, Wait, but so, aside- is, so is so, so is the phrase of the dead copyrighted? Because I know I've seen that all over the place, especially in Japanese media. I am not sure. Because, like, I can understand maybe, like, if they sense, like, copyrighted the phrase of the living dead, but I do understand how that's totally, like, that legal distinction of, like, up, 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 they're not the living dead, they are just the dead. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I don't know there, but um, as for other movies that are big faves of mine, um, huge Reanimator fan. I think oh my that, god, yes, God, Reanimator's good. Holy shit, God, just seeing fucking horror movie Jordan Peterson eat shit. It's great. <laughs> oh my god, um, I, I love Reanimator. Like I, I remember the first time I saw that, I was 
dying with laughter with the part where um the professor uh, his body has the uh the 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 anatomical model for a head and he's sneaking through i was i was in tears in the theater watching that i could that oh my god i love reanimator so much reanimator's a fucking oh it's good um and honestly i kind of would put the thing up there too if i'm being honest here it's a perfect um, movie but but so as not to tread on things let's just let's assume the thing's there not, nothing else to say there. But one that I will put up there that, um, just to go somewhere in a different direction, is a movie that, whether or not this is horror, might be up to you. Um, I think kind of stretches the definition a little bit, but I think it is within the realm of un, you know, movies that are supposed to be unsettling. And mm-hmm. that would be um, Jan Fankmeyer's Alice, which is a... Um, mm. Which is a stop motion and live action combination uh, film about Alice in Wonderland um, from like oh god I want to say the seventies and it's it's very creepy not necessarily because like oh there's all this fucked up stuff happening or anything like that but it's just it's very much a kind of straight retelling of Alice in Wonderland but it is not one it's not prettying things up. And two, um, everything is done with, like, these ratty old dolls and, like, taxidermied animals and stuff like that. I'm Googling this right now, and there is absolutely a lot of, like, uh, it's, it feels like if Labyrinth, instead of being made with Muppets, was made with taxidermied animals. It yeah. Honestly, it honestly kind of gives me a bit of an Undertale vibe from it. Like, if you did a realistic version of Undertale, this is what it would look like. You know what? I can see what you mean there. Um, but yeah, like it's it is not it is not a movie that's necessarily going to keep you up at night, or it's going to have like and it's not going to have like jump scares or what have you. But it is, I feel it's a genuinely unsettling film, and its aesthetic I think is extremely unique. Uh, I think I'm probably going to call out one more movie. I think if I'm going to stretch the definition of horror as well, I think I please I'm, do, like, please do. I, I think like. You know, like something like the thing and Evil Dead and Reanimator is definitely on like the the super scary side of things for me. Which even then, I guess movies those movies aren't super scary, but they're they are horror. On the other end of kind of like horror adjacent, I would definitely put um I'd put two of them. Uh, one is probably Gremlins two, which I think is <laughs> really stretching the definition of a horror movie. Gremlins one definitely a horror movie. Gremlins two is every kind of movie, and horror is <laughs> one of those kind of movies that it are. And it has Christopher Lee in it, so like that's that's good enough. You, you got a good Dracula. That's all you really need. But, Gremlins um, Two is a movie. It is, yeah, it is. That is <laughs> if you're, I was gonna put a pull quote on that movie for me. It would say Gremlins Two. It's a movie. <laughs> it's it's a movie, all right. But um, also, uh, I am in. An, I am it's in got a, the Hulk, which I feel like that automatically makes it a horror movie. Wait, it doesn't. Wait, it, wait, it doesn't have the Hulk. It has Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's, those are two different things. You're right. That that double makes it a horror. Uh, also, too, I would also totally uh, name check uh, Paranorman as a personal favorite of mine. Um, stop motion movies, I think, definitely 
I think I think a little too much. They tend to dabble in the realm of horror. I think just because there's such an association with that medium and feature films with the Nightmare Before Christmas, which totally runs with a lot of the horror stuff. So like you know you get a, there's a lot of like that creepiness to James and the Giant Peach, and of course you have things like Coraline and then like the Wallace and Gromit movie also kind of like dabbles in horror where the the shorts dabble in suspense. But for my money, the movie that makes the that makes the most good out of horror as thematic for stop motion is Paranorman. It, it's it's a lovely movie. Uh, it's from Leica, the same stop motion movie studio that did Coraline. And of the five movies they've produced so far, I feel like Paranorman is probably... You know what? At this point, I'd say it's probably the one that gets the second least amount of love. I definitely say that. That award definitely goes to Missing Link at this point, which I saw in an empty theater. But uh, Paranorman, Paranorman is a wonderful love letter to just like kids and weirdos who grew up just like obsessed with horror and having and like the kinds of people that they can be when they're not absolute like dirtbag monsters. And I, I love the imagery. I love the music. I love just everything about that movie texturally. And it's horror enough that I would throw it in my like sack that's labeled in Sharpie John Charles's favorite horror movies. I mean, I'm personally a big advocate of um, horror both being a matter of, you know, is it scary? But also being like, you know, the, the trappings are a big part of it. And I think a movie that is leaning heavily on the trappings and aesthetic of horror is still, you know, they're allowed to sit at the table. Um Another, another part of this question uh i don't i don't I'm, I'm gonna take a stab here but i'm gonna say i might speak for both of us when i say as far as our favorite horror games go i think you and i are both humongous resident evil fans yeah i feel, uh, definitely have the most experience when it comes to resident evil as far as horror games go um i definitely like the way that resident evil very much fits into that schlock horror kind of vibe mm -hmm. um, at when it's at its best, in my opinion. Like, the first half of RE7 is just... You know, I still, oh, haven't, I still haven't played RE7 because uh, I, I was watching a Let's Play of it to get an idea of what the gameplay was like. I remember watching it, and because it was set in first person and so much of it is being chased around a house by southern cannibals, I was just kind of like, ah... Uh, no, this is this is too intense for me. I, I couldn't play this, but fair, fair, but fair. but but I did. I do own a, a PSVR headset, and when I bought it shortly thereafter, I did buy Resident Evil Seven because I was like, well, I want to play a full game, and it's like, oh, I mean, it's it's it'd be too much for me normally, but I'm sure I can handle the game much better in VR. So I, I haven't sat down to play that one yet, but I really should soon. I really, really 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 liked the resident evil 2 remake um i liked i really liked the resident evil 3 remake with about two of those reallys but i really liked the resident evil 2 remake and i love how i do love that b movie element of the first um i'd say three and a half core games of resident evil are definitely in that b movie area where like they are scary but they're scary in a way that i think has a sense of humor to it like I think they take the imagery of a lot of the of a lot of like the Night of the Living Dead and they said like 
okay, but what if the zombies actually were genuinely threatening? It's not about man as a real monster. The real monsters are the monsters that are in this house. They are the real monsters. Also I'm... Albert Wesker. Also Albert Wesker. Uh, Wesker, all those characters rule. I love Wesker. I love Jill. Chris is also good. And you can't forget about Barry. They're all great. I'll always need you. But for now... I have this. And he whips out that big <laughs> fucking cockshock ass gun. <laughs> oh my god, there are so many huge guns in that game. Like it's I Barry's gun it. is the funniest thing on planet Earth to me. Like, I, I think Resident Evil has definitely evolved to get a reputation as a series where um it's not scary at all, but I think revisiting those first three games, you definitely you definitely get a sense of the fact of not only were they scary at the time, but a lot of those scares really do still work and um I, you know outside of resident evil um i'm definitely a fan of silent hill from a distance i haven't had a lot of experience playing them i'm planning to kind of fill in those holes in, in my blind spots soon um that could also possibly be a stay tuned for the podcast as well those silent hill games but um i love what those games do um i'm also a really really big fan of pt i genuinely think pt is one of the greatest games ever made it it takes full advantage of what being a video game allows you to do to scare the player um not to spoil too much but one of the scares in that game exists in the pause menu of that game and that's just absolutely genius uh if you ever can play pt like if you visit a friend's house and they have it on their system sit down and play it for an hour or two is it is it is a masterpiece it's only a demo but it's still a masterpiece I don't really have much to add in terms of video games. Um, I admire horror video games, but if I'm being completely honest, uh, I tend to be a massive fucking child baby when it comes to actually playing them. Mm -hmm. um, so I t if anything, I tend to stick to ones that are more horror aesthetic, more so than actual horror. Um, but like I said, I don't think I have much, much to add that JC has not said. Um, Want to move on to another question? Yeah, I mean, that's actually like a good segue to another question I think is really good here from uh, Loke the Burning on Twitter. Um, he asks, the visual imagery of horror is the main thing that drives me away from the genre. How have you been able to get past that? Do you ever get nightmares or sudden visions of these grotesque moments? Um, I think that's very understandable because, like, I think there's probably some folks that you know, would probably say, you know, no, you gotta get, you just gotta get over it. But like, it's there. The imagery in lots of horror movies are shocking. They can be very genuinely distressing, and not just because of gore. Um, I think a lot of it is about figuring out exactly what it is that about um, certain imagery that might be pushing you over the edge, whether it's okay, it's I can't take gore to a certain level, or Oh, I can't take um, what are they? Called? I can't take um, jump scares, or mm -hmm. I can't, or maybe certain themes and imagery associated with those themes trigger certain things for me emotionally, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think if you can identify what that is, it'll be easier for you to navigate the horror space, and even mm -hmm. then, I think. One thing I think that's cool about horror is there's such a wide spectrum of it that 
I think you can very much wade in from a safe level and then, you know, go in deeper, deeper, deeper until you hit a point where you're like, okay, you know what, that that's shocking enough for me. And yeah. you can pull back. And I think yeah. there's lots of horror that's good for that. Like, um, like I said, like I would say that like, uh, Night of the Living Dead is not especially gory or graphic, but it does handle its violence in a way that I would not call like slapstick and amusing. So you can, I would say, like Night of the Living Dead is like a, a good barometer for like, okay, what is it that is that is getting you? If you can mm-hmm. watch that movie and you're okay, then it's probably like, okay, you can take, you know, you can take a little bit of gore and you can take it when it's done very seriously. Um, and maybe that can tell you that, okay, you're okay with, you know, you're okay with it in this context. So then you can go into another movie that's similar and kind of locate when things get different and how you feel about that. It, it, it takes a little bit of feeling and, but there's, there are a lot of horror movies that are not as insanely graphic as you would expect. A lot of it is suspense. Yeah, I mean, I I love that idea of the fact that there are entry-level horror movies out there, because, like, that's definitely how I got into the genre, I would say. I mean, I, I remember watching movies like uh, Army of Darkness and, and Haosu and not knowing what I was going to see going into it, and that being kind of exciting, but also very anxiety-inducing of this idea of, like, well, I don't really want to see people getting torn apart by... By rusty knives and a lot of blood and entrails spilling out but I don't know if these things are in these movies and as I watched them it became more and more clear that they weren't there and that kind of did allow me to engage with the uh the themes and the imagery of horror that when I first started getting into the genre that I did really enjoy things like crazy monster designs um the element of like the undead or an afterlife or a hell or something like a lot of that kind of stuff really did draw me into it. But I know for me, what eventually did get me over the hump of getting over like, oh, well, this score is a little much. Oh, I don't know if I want to see this violence. I don't know if I want to see this. I don't know if I want to see that. Was learning a lot more about how those effects are actually achieved in movies. You know, like I, I remember I remember back when YouTube was kind of first burgeoning and there were a couple of, uh, there, were, there were less video essay style people. There were definitely a lot more people who were doing um, a lot of kind of, like, deep dives into their favorite movies. Um, I mean, I know, like, Old School Cinemassacre, Cinemassacre used to do a lot of that stuff. And, you know, like, James Rolfe, if you've ever watched any of the Anger Millionaire videos, it's really clear that dude loves him some special effects. And he has a lot of old videos where he would go into um, his favorite movies and his favorite series. I, I mean, he has his... um. Was it uh, Cynic Massacre's Monster Movie Madness he does every October where he'd cover yeah. a movie every day? And he'd go into, like, the history of the movies and the actors and this stuff, as well as his favorite effects, and he'd talk about those effects. And that was something that got me down the road of seeing, like, well, okay, when I'm watching someone get their arm cut off in a movie, what I'm seeing is not the, is not the actual imagery and the actual thought of somebody getting their arm cut off. It's a special effect. It's a magic trick. It's a piece of craft. It's art. It's it's seeing someone's arm get cut off and blood spurting out is art. Somebody made that. And being more aware of how those effects work and what they're achieving made me kind of uh, stop being afraid to look at them and appreciate them more from an outside perspective. And as a trade-off, 
it allowed me to kind of buy into the movies themselves a little bit more. So I don't know, I, I guess like the, the short cliff note version of that is just for me, learning how these movies get made helped me get a better appreciation for what they are. And it, it made me less scared of what I was seeing and just allowed me to engage with it more as, as art or a form of storytelling over, over what you actually might see on the news nowadays, or seeing somebody actually suffering in real life. Like there is, there is a line between what actual suffering looks like and what violence in gore in a movie looks like. And there are movies that like to blur those lines. And me personally, I'm uninterested in those movies. I am not interested in things like the human centipede, which are literally just exercises in showing how much people can suffer and be in pain. I'm not super interested in that, but I am interested in something like the thing where you watch a man get his arms bitten off by a guy <laughs> whose stomach has turned into a giant maw. That's very fascinating. And it's, it's hard for me to be afraid of something like that. doesn't mean it's hard to look at, but it's hard for me to be afraid of something like that when I know what I'm looking at is, is movie magic. It's craft. It's an effect. It's not real, but it's the fact that it feels so real that makes it so fascinating and entertaining. Um, something you you hit on there that I think also is good to kind of expand on. Like you were talking about Cinemassacre and all the um, kind of very quick movie um summaries and reviews that he would do around the around the holidays and like um honestly one thing that's great about the current internet age we live in is you're not alone here um they make there are people out there who make content where they talk about movies in safe not scary environments like legit i've come through i got to know so many movies through those old cinemassacre videos that james Rolfe would do that's that is how i even came across um return of the living dead i saw that because he showed that scene with um with the tar man and i was i instantly fell in love and i think what's what rolf is good at is a lot of his videos about those movies kind of they give you a good vertical slice of a movie so it's like I almost feel like if you can take whatever is in one of his videos, you can probably take the movie um, within reason, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like, I know there's a lot of people that cannot take jump scares. I'm actually yeah. with you. I fucking hate jump scares. No. Hate fuck, a, fuck a jump scare. Like, I get it. They can work, and I think there's a time and a place for a good jump scare. I mean, like... Something like Psycho, for example, there are there are a number of signature moments in Psycho which are punctuated by the fact that something very startling happens when you're not expecting it at all, or the timing of it goes against what all your intuition tells you the timing of those horrible things should be. And but all that shit where like it's like, that. oh, it gets real quiet. Oh, fuck, it's getting quiet. Oh, no. Ooga booga booga, be scared. Fuck that shit. Yeah. Fuck you like, if you uh, watch uh, it and like it. Like there is no fear, you. there is no tension there. Like that's the thing. It's 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 artificial build up to an artificial uh, tension. Like there's, it's, it's not scary. It's startling and it just sucks. It just sucks. But like, like I said, like I, I, yeah, you know, I fucking adore horror movies and I love the fucking nasty shit. And I don't like, I don't like. Um, Jump scares. So, like, there's websites and lists and stuff where it's like, you can look up, hey, does this movie have jump scares? And it'll tell you. 
Like when I when I watched the movie Antrim the other night, I was like, okay, I want to watch it, but like, doesn't have jump scares. And I looked it up. And I looked it up, and it was like, yeah, no, no jump scares. Have fun. And oh, good. It didn't, and it was. Do you, do you I, remember the Do you remember the name of that site you went to to get that information from? Nope. I I legit I just googled does movie have jump scares, and you'll there's lots of things that'll just say it. Um, yeah, I mean, not a not a bad strategy, honestly. Like it, so and and the same thing. You you could probably work that same strategy with other things that are too far for you. If you like, if you're like, if you don't like gore, like gore, gore, I score in a movie. In a movie, you can just fucking say, hey, you know, this movie looks cool. Does it have gore? Type it in. You'll probably find someone that mentions it, or it'll be mentioned somewhere in the rating, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and mm-hmm. that'll help. Like it. This is one of those cases where, like, the ratings can legit be your friend. So, Absolutely. Like, or, or, like, if you see, like, if like, or like if sexual violence is a major trigger for you, as it is for many people, you know, the literal rating on a movie often will say so. It'll tell you. Or, those, or that they're uh, IMDB parental guides. They're good for mm-hmm. that as well. That, like, those are your friends when it comes to a movie. Like, trusted trusted reviewers like James Rolfe, etc., etc., folks that you know whose opinions and, st- and content you trust and you feel safe watching, those are great. And IMDb and just general Googling is your friend. It is, we are so many tools to find horror movies that will be comfortable for you so that, because, like, horror movies are about feeling discomfort, but you want to do that in a way that is, ironically, comfortable. We are... This is supposed to be safe. It is safe scary. Um, as as the last little chunk of this question, the, the person also asks, you know, do you ever get nightmares or sudden visions of these moments? Um, I, I know, for me, um, I think this happened to me more when I was a kid than it has when I was an adult. Though it still gets me as an adult, uh, I do get that from The Exorcist, but it's funny, my relationship with that has changed a lot more from a kid to an adult. As a kid, the actual raw visual imagery of The Exorcist scared the hell out of me. Um, As a child, it was very upsetting to see all these horrible things happening to Linda Blair, seeing her body scarred and torn apart by a demon. Uh, that was generally upsetting, but as an adult, the scary part of that movie for me is the idea of an otherworldly force that we don't understand, and even though in the movie the demon presents itself as Satan, it's not Satan, it's Pazuzu, it's a lower demon, it's just an otherworldly force we can never hope to understand that's just here to fuck with us, and that concept in and of itself is super upsetting to me, so it's like, I, I definitely still get the lingering feelings from movies, even as an adult. Um, as I've watched more horror stuff, it just has gotten much less from like the uh, from the visual stuff to the actual like psychological dread element of uh, some horror stories. But to a degree, I kind of enjoy that. I do enjoy I do enjoy being presented with the thoughts of like the unknowable and trying to understand the unknowable like that is that is that is a draw to the genre for me yeah like not gonna lie like it's part of really enjoying horror is kind of writing that line it is kind of um learning to 
like the unpleasant <laughs> feelings you feel. I don't mean like you have to you have to go in there and you have to like the snuffiest of the snuff. I'm not saying that. Like, you know, be as safe and tender as you want. But part of heart is you actively seeking out an experience to frighten yourself and make yourself uncomfortable as an act of um you know just doing it for fun and that's i know for if you have never really gotten into horror and you know if you're new to it yeah that's gonna sound weird but you know maybe some of you are masochists and you'll realize things about yourself <laughs> part you just sometimes it's it's fun to feel spooked it is just fun to feel spooked sometimes i don't get nightmares much in the way anymore i definitely had them when i was a little squiddo um but as an adult i don't get nightmares but i'll i would be a liar if i said that if i watched like a good horror movie like a really scary one right before bed yeah, <laughs> keeping a few lights on for just a few it minutes longer than normal it's yeah it when, but those but those are the ones that i'm really like <laughs> those are the ones i crave that you crave yeah. that in this day and age, and like that, like I, that's one reason. Like I, it, it feels like a high you're chasing. I, no joke. So speaking of uh, chasing uh, external validations, Barb, <laughs> how about you reach in that there mailbag and uh, pull out another one? What's a what's what, what else we got? What's a good one? Um, one here that is very different from the other questions. I think is interesting. Is from um, at Avion Two. Which says, how do you recommend writing a horror-based D&D-esque horror one-shot? Because I can't figure out how to make it scary after they finally see the thing. And I, th I think that's a really, really cool question. Because mm -hmm. I have been in and run horror one-shots before. And it's very fun. It is a very fun but also challenging experience to be in the driver's seat for scaring people you do and that's one thing that watching a lot of horror can help with because mm. if you pay attention if you watch actively and not passively but actively um you'll start to get a feel for what things are making you scared now obviously at the end of the day you can really only track what is going to make you scared and therefore make content that is going to scare you but that's valid <laughs> that's valid and fine um, as far as like crafting a horror one shot, um, one shots are definitely probably the easiest way to do it. I think horror can lose its steam over a whole campaign unless you're like playing Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> but um, I think within the tabletop space, a big source of unease is going to be. Um, withholding information and exactly yeah. and for an inf and and having information and assumptions made by the player be proven inaccurate and untrustworthy not to say oh just lie to them a shit ton but like if you if you get the right scenario where they're what they thought was safe is all of a sudden not safe or the, the thing they thought was one thing is actually another that gets the paranoia going, and that is a very e that is a very easy kind of fear to get going 
in a tabletop environment. I I agree. Like I've I've not headed up a game, but I've played games, and there's been up. I haven't been in an explicitly horror focused game, but there have been moments that have been scary or an element of horror in like some of the campaigns or sessions I've played. And I think absolutely um, messing around with the dynamics of trust and control is a good way to uh, make your players feel a little lost, but not that they're out of control. Like, you definitely want an element of mystery. Um, Having information being a little bit harder to get, and even when you get the information, it doesn't actually answer your questions, which doesn't mean to J.J. Abrams it, but it means... (laughs) I mean, like, think about it this way, right? Um, we don't know whether or not ghosts exist in the real world or not, right? But let's say tomorrow you woke up, you woke up, and they're on the front page of the newspaper for a change of pace with news <laughs> about ghosts being real. Okay, I mean, we, you know didn't that, we have one that said aliens were real a few, about a month back? The, 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 the aliens think that's that's like a whole other thing because I don't know if we confirm. <laughs> we haven't. We don't have proof hard proof that aliens are real but let's say there was hard proof of ghosts being real that here's a photo of it here's the energy wavelength booberry is real here are 20 knowledgeable people who can corroborate the fact that ghosts are real you now have the information that ghosts are real okay just because you know that ghosts are real doesn't mean that every question you've ever had about ghosts has been answered you don't know what they're made of you don't know where they come from does that mean that people have a soul does that mean there's an afterlife it it raises like getting that one answer raises further it raises further puzz more puzzling questions and i think um finding ways to again just mess with that dynamic of trust and control and as as far as your players trying to find control and answers and those that control and answers making things feel a little bit less out of control and raising more questions. So you don't want to leave players in the dark, but you want to turn on, you want to get them out of the dark one light bulb at a time. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I think just like definitely being aware a bit more of structurally what works about horror, even when horror is not being scary, but what makes horror spooky, you know, like part of what makes evil dead scary isn't the fact that, you know, there are demons trying to claw your eyes out, but the fact that here's Necronomicon it is a book that is made out of human flesh and skin. You read this book, bad things will happen. Where's this book come from? The the like the biggest oh shit moments of any Evil Dead property isn't the moment that a deadite shows up at the door. It's the moment that the Necronomicon ends up in somebody's hands. Like that is that is where that dread comes from. It is where you know that you know that you, there's this unknowable force and you're trying to keep it out of the hands of people who know nothing about the force that it contains. Like definitely like it's yeah it's definitely 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 just playing around with what players do and don't know and most importantly what they can know and what they what they can what they can fathom what they can understand what what is actually there that they could even like hope to one day understand and i I got two more points i want to bring up um one um Let's let's be honest. In a lot of tabletop games, it is a habit for players to get into what I would honestly call a predator mindset. The um, the uh, murder hobo mindset. Some call. It. <laughs> um, and I think you know. You, I, I think a big 
source of horror that you can work with is simply flipping the script. Not saying, oh, you can't do things, but simply to turn them from predator to prey. I have done that with players before where I put them in um, some mountainous woods full of trains and I got them afraid of ghost trains being stalked by ghost trains. <laughs> and like, you can, it, they don't even have to be like like super like scary things. You can pick something kind of out there. Like I said, ghost train. And it's all about how you use it. Because if you're being, like being stalked is lizard brain fear and that shit once that gets its claws in you it doesn't leave for the rest of the session you're gonna be looking over your metaphorical soul uh, shoulder the whole time so like though going for those kind of you know lizard brain monkey brain fears can really go for you and another thing um and this is more a matter of like of how depending on how comfortable you are as a gm how confident you are in your organization skills but i will say do not be afraid to split up the group Mm, yes yes do not be afraid to split up the group do not be afraid to um have them pit against each other people feel safe and protected when they feel like they are um they feel safe and protected in groups so if you can in any way you can think of just put a little crack in that defense just a little bit of doubt into how safe they are in a group that is going to drive them insane just, again, just removing that control out of the equation. Like, the less control there is, without being mean and unfair about it, but the less mm-hmm. control there is in the sense of telling a story, the more potential there is for that that dread and that horror. Yep. Alright. Uh, let's take a look at another letter here. Let's see, just getting my uh, letter opener, opening up this letter. Ah, it's another, it's another letter from Twitter. It says, uh, <laughs> it's from uh, Crimson Crusade. It says... My roommate suggested what your opinions are on the gender disparity and horror of how violence is perceived by the audience when it's against women versus against men. Also, thoughts on LGBTQ plus representation in horror. Thought that would be an interesting topic. And uh, yeah, this is a this is a great question, and it's yeah, that's a meaty one. No, I like that. It's definitely something I know uh, Barb and I have talked a lot about in uh, doing this show. Is that straight up uh, horror is a Horror can be a problematic genre. There are movies that definitely um, raise troubling uh, troubling imagery and ideas and questions about uh, gender and sexual violence and just basically just like sec- uh, sexism straight up, honestly. And on, what, on one hand, some of these themes go hand in hand with like the core tenets of the genre. I mean, one of the most... Uh, cornerstone uh, tropes of horror is the concept of the final girl which is to say when you have an ensemble cast of survivors versus an a monster or a force it is super common for the final survivor of the movie to be a a lone a lone woman or girl you know the, this idea that this is this is somebody who at the start of the movie represents uh naivety naivety and vulnerability and weakness and by the end of the movie they have to overcome all those things you know they 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 come out the movie a changed person they know more than they should they have to they have to grow up they have to get stronger and 
that definitely preys upon a lot of like western imagery and beliefs about the chastity and the purity of just a of a of a young white girl basically it's like Mm -hmm. it's it's the idea of oh this is the point where a girl is forced to stop being a girl and become a woman and that does make for a very easy and it's a very quick easy shorthand for the journey and the arc a character has taken a horror movie when honestly quite frankly most of the time survivors in movies don't have an arc they're there to get killed or to avoid getting killed that's about it and the final girl is the most you kind of get out of that which isn't to say that there aren't also movies or stories or games that play with the concept of the final girl and turn it on its head to make something different out of it that makes a strong statement but so much of the genre is is definitely rooted in this element of just again just the chastity and the purity of white women and needing to protect them whether you're talking the final girl or the element of women being naturally drawn to dracula or monsters stealing a a woman and still and bringing them back to her lair like to their lair that's just something that just comes up a lot and there are times where it works and there's equally just as many times that honestly it straight up sucks and you know like I, i i am a transgender woman and it is a bit of a trope in horror movies to sometimes use um, either men dressing up as women or just straight up using a transgender woman um, as a threat. And that sucks. <laughs> it's, sucks so prevalent, it's so prevalent that one of the biggest authors of, the ti- of our time and era has Fuck just J.K. Rowling. Has just read a book where that exact thing happens and fucking it fucking sucks. Bitch, God, fuck! Don't buy her fucking. Ga- We're gonna take it. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a moment here. <laughs> don't buy her fucking game. I. You don't have to fucking buy it. You don't have to read a different book. Anything. Read. Read fucking the Inheritance trilogy by N.K. Jemison. Read fucking Gideon the Ninth. Read anything for fuck's sake. Okay, done. Done. Stuff. Yeah, you're you're good. You're good, and she's bad. <laughs> she's bad, and it sucks that like, yeah, like there is also too often an element of movies using um using uh queer characters or transgender characters or suggesting that oh having these trans these quote unquote transvestite tendencies is is a telltale sign of of insanity or something off kilter. I mean, I love Psycho. Psycho is one of the best movies straight up ever made. But there's yeah. no denying that that entire movie is hinged on the on the the the, the 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 it's predicated on the twist that somebody and sorry spoilers for Psycho, but it is also like a, a 50 year old movie, and you probably uh, whatever if you don't want to hear it, mute me for like 15 seconds here. But the twist in that movie is basically that you know this this there's this man he had a controlling mother, mother dies. He goes nuts, and so the way he copes with that is by dressing like his mother and killing beautiful women. And it's like, on its surface, it's like, oh, cool, it's the story of somebody who was coddled by his mom and was pushed too far. But it also seriously does just feed into that trope of, hey, somebody, somebody, some, like, a, a transgender person is is going crazy and killing people. And that sucks. It sucks when that sort of thing shows up in horror movies, and it's a bummer when it's showing up in older movies, especially movies that sometimes are classics like that like psycho it really doesn't sit well with modern audiences and under a modern lens and it is a huge bummer like 
I don't want to say that like when you go and you watch horror movies, you just gotta suck it up. Like, you know, like I said, like I said with cont with um, you know, content and gore and stuff. Whatever your comfort level is, that's what matters. But um, I will say that like one, yeah, yeah you do. You, you're gonna have to probably put up with some stuff. I'm sorry, you probably are. Um, and two, um. And this is in a different direction. Um, one thing that I think is interesting about horror is that it is very much a genre that its media can and does often say much more than its creators intended. Yes. Um, which is, I think is part of the beauty and a little bit of the frustration in the genre. Because, yeah, sometimes you're going to get these stories where it's like i know the director didn't mean it that way i hope they didn't mean it that way but that's how it ends up meaning because like the thing about horror is that horror as a genre not just in movies just the genre of horror you are speaking to the anxieties the fears of society Mm -hmm. and no surprise societal fears are not always very pc they're not always logical they're not always rational or make sense and sometimes that ends up with like very interesting cool movies and stuff and especially when the director or writer is actively thinking about those things Uh, i think you get really cool stuff but at the same time you also get movies that they were not intending to talk about X or Y, but they it you can read it as X or Y. And the thing is, that's not always a bad thing. I mean, you've like, set me up perfectly here for something else I want to bring up, too, is, like, on the other side of that coin, is that, like, typically in horror movies, violence enacted against men is not... It's not perceived the same way as it's enacted against women, you know? Like, usually men in movies either die because they're dumb or they survive because they've got dumb luck, you know? And I think there are some modern movies that kind of play with that a bit more. Um, Misery is a fantastic one, in my opinion. Oh, that's that's definitely a good one. And um, I, I haven't sat down to watch it yet. I do understand there's some elements of that in Hereditary... Not Hereditary, the other one. Um, Midsummer. There are some elements in Midsummer of, of violence being enacted against men and kind of being portrayed in the way that it's enacted against women, but not in that, like, super-duper... Not in that super-duper lazy way that some things do where it's like, oh, this man got sexually assaulted so you can see how weird it is when it happens to a man. Like, not quite that... But I think I don't perfect... entirely agree. But I see what <laughs> well, you're saying. I, I haven't saying. I haven't seen I haven't seen the movie, so I'm talking out of my ass. And if you've seen it, I don't you like know. Midsummer. I don't think it's a good movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't think it's good. Stay tuned. I, I, I'm about to say, like on the other other side of that coin, a movie <laughs> that I think plays with those expectations and that imagery perfectly is something like um, Get Out, which is easily one of the yeah. best movies of the 21st century and. You know, the, the hero of that movie is a man, but he is also a young black man. So when violence is enacted against him from his from the, the status that he has in our American society, it means something a lot different than when it happens to a chaste young white woman or a horny young white man teen. Like when it happens to him, like there there's there's a lot of imagery of there's a lot of imagery relating to like America's relationship with like black people and the slave trade and 
the final, like one of the final scenes of that movie, absolutely plays on the on like the relationship between the uh, black men and the police in this nation in a way that pays off amazingly, and that only works because of this sort of admittedly role reversal in this movie. But it's a role reversal that comes with thought instead of being the role reversal that just suggests isn't this isn't it weird when the things that usually happen to women in these movies happens to men? It says. Here is a man with a different status in society than most of the heroes of your average horror movie. What happens when he is in a horror movie, and what does that mean? So, those those tropes being there, it sucks, and they do reflect, like like Barb said, it reflects the fears and anxieties of our culture and our nation, which unfortunately aren't always the best placed uh, values or the best placed intentions. But it does mean that there are some fantastic opportunities there for smart filmmakers and writers to really play with an audience's expectations and shared knowledge that they're bringing into these films to really pull something out of it that can be incredibly impactful when it's done right. And like I was saying earlier, like um, a big part of horror is sometimes um, you can read things into a movie that we're not intended and that can mean reading themes that maybe you actually find more not i don't want to say progressive but like themes that are more personal and interesting and maybe go in a different direction than was even intended like a good um example of that for me personally is a sleepaway camp Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's who oh boy. Um, I definitely want to have a full episode about it, so I'm not going to get too into it here. But I'm I, I like the movie a lot actually, um, even though it is uh, it, it this it is very much a trans panic um, movie, just straight up. Um, I would like to hope that it was not intended um maliciously but at the end of the day it is still very much a very trans panic movie but at the same time the, unlike say unlike say um uh, psycho um this movie kind of hits on something a little different where like i'm trying to think of how to phrase it um i think the quote-unquote villain here is unintentionally actually a lot more sympathetic than the um than the filmmakers intended and that results in the movie resonating more than i would have thought it would um there's definitely still a big old shocker you know shock value thing at the end of oh <laughs> she, has a, she, she got dick oh no um <laughs> But um, honestly, though honestly, that scene is that shot is frightening for a different reason. Um, that being that fucking mask, holy shit! Um, but it's sometimes just sometimes you get something out of a movie or a book or something that was not intended, and that's valid. And I think that can happen a lot with horror. Um, it's the genre is a beautiful fucked up mess <laughs> uh i swear like I, I really do mean it. like the movies can go in so many different directions over repeated viewings over the years um 
sometimes just hearing another person's take on it can really change how you feel about a flick. I've had that happen for movies before. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I'm I'm really curious to see how I how I feel about um Nightmare on Elm Street two when we eventually get to that because I remember I remember enjoying Nightmare on Elm Street two the first time I saw it because I was really surprised that the follow up to a movie about the trend of like serial killers across America and the fear that like suburban parents had of serial killers and taking vigilante justice in their own hand I was really surprised it was followed up with a movie about a boy who is afraid he might be gay and that's manifested by him literally turning into Freddy Krueger and I remember being so surprised that out of nowhere that is what that second movie is about I remember thinking like that ah, is pretty good I wonder if I will still feel that way when I go back to it because that that it inherently already does have a bit of like a weird connotation to it the idea of what if being gay was like if you were freddy krueger the murderous pedophile but i am curious to see how i feel about I, that one going back to it i haven't seen elm street 2 myself but i am familiar with what you're talking about um i remember hearing stuff about it that made it sound a little like they were putting a little more thought into it than you would expect so i i'm very curious to watch the movie too to see how i feel and i'm curious to watch sleepaway camp and see how you feel like it there's tars ripe for discussion folks like it's it's cool like that and it's one of the most can, fascinating genres it it's my favorite genre for a goddamn reason oh yeah if, you, if you're if you're looking for stories that play in the psychological horror is really where you want to go um I think we're good here on that. Um, I have another one that I think is a little, a little more of a smaller bite of a question, but I think one that we will be equally passionate about. Yeah, and that go. is from at um, Whamalam on Twitter. <laughs> and it says, Jump scares! What are your opinions on them? JC, I'll let you start. 99% uh, of the time, they kind of suck. Uh, we already talked about it, that like the concept of just setting up a lot of quiet for a big noise really does suck. Uh, you, you see it coming, and even when you see it coming, you're not surprised by the fact that you got scared, but just because your fight or flight has been activated by a loud noise out of nowhere. But there still is a time and a place for playing with an audience's expectations of timing and um, using the fact that you know, make, making a horror movie where you establish the hard, fast rule that nobody is safe and never betraying that by allowing uh, when your characters feel safe for a moment, making sure that they are, that is when they are immediately ganked, basically. You know, like, a lot of slasher films are great at this. Um, off the top of my head, uh, there's a great one of those sorts of moments in Shaun of the Dead where it feels like a character should be safe. And you remember suddenly oh, right, this is a zombie apocalypse. They they don't care how safe you feel. If you're not being careful, it's not working. And I think I think, betra I think betraying your audience's expectations is the greatest use of a jump scare. I think seeing a jump scare coming from a mile away and it still works, you don't feel like you're having fun. You're just angry that it worked on you. And that's a horrible way to feel when you're watching a horror movie. <laughs> Yeah, like fucking last year in 2019, I I, I went and saw um, the Nun on a date because the date recommended it. <laughs> bad recommendation, <laughs> bad date. Um, that's in the that's in the Conjuring series, is it not? I think so. I haven't watched any of those, 
But, like, I, I watched The Nun in theaters, and, like, what you were saying about, like, you know, it's they're not even scary. Like, every time there was a jump scare, I was able to identify it and fucking internally count down to when the scare was going to happen. They're horribly, like, in a, a lot of movies, use them in a predictable and unfun manner. It, it, it feels bad. You just get hit with a shot of adrenaline, and hey, that kind of feels bad when you're not, like, actually scared. And... I, 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 think, I think, you know, a good jump scare, because once it scares you, you actually calm down, you actually kind of laugh about it because it did manage to get you. Yeah, or like, um, to go into a different um, medium, um, videos game, um, one thing I, I remember was like, uh, in uh, Resident Evil 1, if I recall correctly, uh, the very first version of RE1, you know, there's always the classic, the dog through the window, we all know that. Oh, and, I know where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was either in director's cut it's, or it's, in, or in it's remake. The, it's the remake. It's okay. It's the in remake, remake. Um, they Capcom specifically changed around various um, jump scares the game had had. So even people who had breezed through the first one and played it a million times and were expecting that scare. You, you walk through the hallway that has the window with the dog through it, and you're just like, oh, here it comes. It's, and he here still, he it still comes. has the exact same angle where, like, the window's nice and big, mm-hmm. so you know what's going to happen, <laughs> if you know what's going to happen. And you walk by it, and I think, does it, does it even make a sound? Nothing, I, nothing I, happens. I recall, nothing yeah, happens. Nothing, like, you don't even get, like, a teeny tiny cat scare. You just, nothing happens. You have to hold that tension. You don't get a release, and that's genius. Like, we should we should definitely have an episode about remake. Like, oh, we period. will. Holy I mean, shit! We'll, we'll, we'll just have like a Resident Evil episode about the games and the movies at some point. Oh, um, I mean, all the Resident Evils are great at that. That's a hundred percent what um, Mr. X and Nemesis are. Is that you know, you're dealing with the game as is normal, and then they just show up and make everything worse. And you know, I already mentioned it. PT was great at this. Um, I love that there's moments in PT where the game ship tells you to turn around, and they you you think you know what's gonna happen when you turn around. If you do it, there won't be nothing there. And when you turn back around, that's when they get you. It's stuff like that that I think is absolutely brilliant and is a lot better than the whole, uh, you know, the Five Nights at Freddy's something jumps up and makes a weird distorted scream sound at you. Like, it, I I I like feeling I like being scared by the same things. That's like. If I was in a situation in real life, I would actually be scared. And I'm actually scared playing this game. And not so much, I don't want to be scared by this loud thing. And when it happens, I'm going to be scared, even though I know it's coming. And I'm going to hate how it feels when it happens. Yeah, like, when games can be really, really good at actually just fucking hitting on those really primal fears in an effective way. Like, I, I, I couldn't make it through... Um, uh, that the alien isolation—that's what it was. Um, I couldn't uh. <laughs> make it through alien isolation. Like I said, I am a big child baby when it comes to horror video games, but I, I, I respect it so much. Like I'm fascinated by horror in games, but I am big baby when was, it comes I was to playing. You, I was hoping you were gonna say uh, Big Boo Manor in Mario 64 with that piano. 
Oh, that's a fucking classic. Yeah, th- that is still <laughs> that that shit stays with you. I, like I just picked up Super Mario 3D All Stars, so it just occurred to me that wow, I'll get to see that piano again soon. I I think about it, cool. but I never think about the fact that one day I'll play the game again and I'll see it, and I'll probably see it real soon on my Switch. Like it, like Mar- Mario 64. Like here, I want to take a moment just to talk about like there's a like a lot of older video games. I think really hit on this uncanny that even that like more high definition horror can actually struggle with like there's a lot of parts of goddamn mario 64 that little 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 squiddo me was genuinely scared of um i felt like like i said the fucking um the the big toothied piano but then also stuff like swimming in jolly rogers bay stressful mm-hmm. as fuck you see you, you see that big eel in the distance and you're just when you're a little kid that's scary or another good example for myself is um in banjo kazooie i knew it and you, were gonna, and you were gonna say clanker's cavern so you said the eel mm-hmm. i was like you're gonna bring up clanker's cavern because it's the yeah it's because you, you you're like not only do you get a big toothy thing in the water it has big open gaping sores on its bodies and the entire time you're being told you're going to drown uh huh. But then, so so you have that. You already have that that shot in the neck when you go through that tunnel. Which, by the way, just if go back and look at that scene, like when you actually see Clanker for the first time, it's still kind of creepy. Let's be real here. It's it is unsettling. But um, like you you feel your fucking prey instincts activate. <laughs> but but also the fact that like it it hit on a lot of um a lot of um like fear myself of like claustrophobia and of drowning like um one of the like one of the jiggies in that level is like you have to swim down to the bottom of the area and go to a hole in the bottom which goes even deeper and that's scary you feel it you feel incredibly unsafe even though the game had this fish farting bubbles at the bottom that you could breathe don't think about that oh, too yeah. much. um even though it had that so you were safe it was one of those things where it you felt extremely exposed because you knew that if you made one miscalculation you you can't correct it you know what i mean Mm-hmm. And that I know for myself, that's scary. Like when I I get nervous um, crossing bridges because I have that same visceral fear of like you know I fuck up in some way and on this bridge I can't fix that. You fall off a bridge, you're dead. I fall, the, you know, I I drive off the side of the road. That's gonna suck, but at least you can do some kind of correction there but you fall off a bridge not much you can do i definitely think about that anytime i realize i'm just on a piece of construction that is keeping me aloft in the air somehow it's just like hey, i have to trust that physics will keep me up here <laughs> uh, i think i think we probably got time for um one more question here yeah same you uh it. yeah uh i really like this one from chrono hat who asks when halloween is in season there's a bunch of cute slash goofy slash light Halloween movies that are thematic, but not ex- not especially suspenseful or scary. Would you consider these horror, horror light, or something different? 
I would consider it horror. Um, like I said earlier, I think it's horror is part being, you know, actually being scared, but it's also part kind of the aesthetic. It's reveling in the things that are spooky and that are so, that are taboo to an extent. Um, even mm-hmm. though a lot of you know Halloween type stuff is not especially taboo nowadays, but the spirit is there. Um, yeah. You know, you you are encouraged to think about things like death, dying, danger. Even the even if you're not in any danger, and the thing you're reading or watching isn't putting things in danger, and it's all cool. You know that subtext of you know, gonna die one day. <laughs> it's there, and that kind of it still colors it, in my opinion. I think that's still integral to horror even when it isn't scary um and hell i would still call one of my favorite horror movies fucking van helsing and that movie's not scary at all (laughs) and nothing nothing about that movie was scary like nothing (laughs) in that movie was scary but uh leave leave some for the episode uh yeah i mean i i've said this before and i'll say it again i think it's absolutely possible for a horror movie to be horror without being scary whatsoever I think it's possible for a normal movie that doesn't fit into horror to have elements of horror and actually be scary. Like, that that happens all the time. I mean, I, I point out to people, like, Nosferatu was one of the quintessential classic horror movies. And that movie is about Dracula trying to buy a house and no one wants to move in. There is nothing scary about that movie. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a neighborhood, it's a neighborhood, uh, organization trying to keep someone from moving into the neighborhood as that movie is and you know like i i think there's definitely um in this day and age you know like we we i think uh, a lot more people these days kind of uh they, they they value and they treasure kind of more wholesome content and you'd be surprised how many uh kind of spooky spooky and kind of horror adjacent things fall into that i know there's like a lot of classics things like nightmare for christmas hocus pocus gremlins courage the cowardly dog exactly there's so much stuff that's just so approachable and isn't uh upsetting but still has elements of um you know the, the are you afraid of the dark rules uh it, this isn't exactly scary but if i was in it i would be scared and a lot of times taking those things and turning it on its head and making something kind of fun or approachable about it or just adapting and co-opting those aesthetics that are just so immediately arresting and just and making something approachable. Um, I mean, one of my good friends, uh, uh, Lauren Jordan, last Halloween, she tweeted out this amazing list of about like two or three dozen movies that she was like, here are movies you can watch on Halloween that are spooky and they're perfect for the season, but they literally aren't scary at all. And pretty much every movie on that list, I would, I would put under that horror umbrella and I'm glad that kind of content exists and it's a great entryway to the genre. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody that probably, you know, sees, sees something with a more like, I'm sure there's somebody who, you know, like probably start, who probably starts on something like a nightmare for Christmas that probably leads them to more of Tim Burton's work and probably leads them to more of the films that influenced him and then some more of the movies that were influenced by the movies that influenced him and it just kind of daisy chains from there and maybe it gets a little harder from there and maybe it doesn't but yeah i mean i love that there are so many of these stories that are just influenced by a lot of 
those imageries and those stories. I mean, it's 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 freaking fall now, which means it's time for Overgarden Wall. And you know, on the surface, that's a cute cartoon about two kids traveling through a pumpkin patch. But you sit down and you watch it and you engage it more. There is so much scary stuff in that show, but you're not yeah. gonna be scared watching it. And or and to get into a little bit of my own field that I work in a bit, um, a big part of human psychology is that um, when people are afraid of something, um, their mind essentially tries any way it can to make the thing it is afraid of less scary as a coping mechanism. And wouldn't you know it, that extends to human sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, like, why do, you, why do you think everybody's horny for Beetlejuice now? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's horny for Beetlejuice now. They, everyone wants the juice. But, um, like, it's like, legit. Like, there, a lot of people, um, like, the people who go through legit trauma, that can inform their sexuality. And I don't mean that in a way of, like, oh, they went through trauma and it fucked them up and now they're only into the fucked up. No, fuck that. But, like... When you know, sometimes you go through something and your mind's just like going down the list of like, okay, fuck, 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 fuck. How do we make this safe? How do we make this safe? How do we make boners? Perfect. <laughs> and that's how it works sometimes. And I think that's extend, you know, that extends to horrors. We we take these things we have we are afraid of, and we detooth them by depensing them. <laughs> Like, I, I joke, but I'm very serious. I mean, that's literally what Academy Award Best Picture winner The Shape of Water is about. That's what that movie is about. Oh, that movie's horny! That's, that's what it's like on the surface. I mean, I've I've made my career off of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, that sort of stuff is super enjoyable. I'm glad it exists. Um... If anybody's ever giving you a hard time about that sort of stuff, and it's kind of like, it's not really horror, um, fuck them, who cares? You watch what you enjoy, and you get as scared as you want to get scared. Um, Call it horror, call it horror light, whatever. Um, I think if it's just generally elements of fear and how we view, process, and grapple with the element of fear, death, and the unknown, I think it's horror, and whether it's scary or not, that's up to the artist to decide if that's what they want to go for, but there are so many other emotions to explore within the range of horror that extend beyond just fear and dread. Mm-hmm. It's... God, I love... I fucking love horror. I love this goddamn genre. It's so I fucking do. cool. I do, too. <laughs> I think that's about going to cover it for us for the evening. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we still got a few more um, letters in here, but I think we will save those for a future letters episode. Um, of oh, course, great. of course, if you've liked what you've heard here today and you think you now have a question that you'd love to ask us, uh, you want to ask us a question about horror, the horror genre, horror movies, horror games, you want to ask us about a specific movie, something we've, we've watched on the show that we plan on watching, something that we've mentioned here is one of our favorites that we haven't talked about yet, or even want to recommend something to us too... You can find us on Twitter at ScaryDarkPod. Um, you can also always email us at um, ScaryDarkPod at gmail.com. Uh, 
Thanks for anybody who uh, responded to the original tweets asking for this over the past few weeks, sending in some letters, uh, emailing us. We received message received. We love seeing it. We love seeing how much you guys have been enjoying the show and getting your feedback as well. We really appreciate that, and it only helps to encourage us to keep this going and to make the show better. Um, you know, Barb and I are doing this because we love each other and we love the genre, but knowing Aww. that you guys are enjoying it too, that goes a long way as well. It, it, it's hard to do this kind of stuff when you know nobody's listening, but when you know someone's listening, it gets a hell of a lot easier. Um, yeah, so, sometimes you folks will like come in when I'm streaming my work and tell me that you listened to an episode, and it, it makes my day. It really does. And Barb tells me every time you guys tell her that, so message received. Seriously, we <laughs> we appreciate it, and thank you. And, um, of course, uh, with that being said as well, um, you can you can definitely find the show on whatever uh, podcast channels you like. Uh, you know, we're, you can find us on Pocket Cast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. I don't know what it is anymore. I switched to Android. I'm not an Apple person anymore, but uh, you can find the podcast pretty much anywhere that good podcasts can be found. You can find the links on our Twitter page. We have them all posted there. If you listen to us on iTunes, feel free to leave us a review sometime. You know, like that sort of thing doesn't hurt, and it lets us know if you guys are enjoying things. So definitely drop us a review sometime. Um, Barb, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, uh, if you want to follow me and my work, be aware it is, uh, 18 plus, um, follow me at, at Diesel Brain Art on Twitter. Um, you can also, if you like my work after giving it a look and you want to support me, um, you can check out, you can look up Diesel Brain on, uh, Pixiv Fanbox as well as Patreon. Um, right now I am... Working on a lot, got a lot of things going, but um, one of the big projects I'm working on is a um, horror-themed um, porno I'm working on animating uh, called Full Moon Philip. It involves uh, werewolves, so if that's your thing, hey, consider tossing me a buck or two. I feel like you know exactly what you're getting right there with the name. <laughs> of course, you can uh, find me on my Twitter, at Sonic9JCT. Uh, that's where you'll find me talking about the show, any movies or TV shows I've watched recently, any games I've been playing, uh, all that good jazz, uh, being generally said about the state of our nation, all that good stuff, all the fun things, you know. All the fun things. Uh, you can, you can follow me there for all the updates, and of course, again, you can follow us at ScaryDarkPod on Twitter, that's where you'll see any announcements about, uh, when episodes of the show are going live, or sneak peeks about what you got coming up, or, uh, Whenever we're putting out a call for more questions, so follow us there and keep an eye on it, and you shouldn't miss any of the news that's coming your way. Um, I think that's about it. How about how about you? Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Well, thanks again for the tenth million time for all the letters. We loved reading them. We loved getting them. We look forward to getting some more. And um, you all stay safe out there. Uh, wear a fucking mask, and you know wear a just... goddamn mask, fuckers. Just generally have a good time. And don't buy the Harry Potter game. Don't buy the Harry Potter game. Be excellent to each other. All that good jazz. And uh, as always, uh, don't get spooked. Please, don't get spooked. Alright, bye everybody.
Oh, I also invested in a standing desk recently. I am currently sitting, but it stands as well, which is also nice. It's nice to stand throughout the day sometimes instead of sitting all day. Nice. Yeah, I got um, I got Ring Fit recently, and I am very impressed by that. Do you uh, do you appreciate how horny that game is? That game's extremely horny. I I I don't think I've seen <laughs> I don't think I've seen a Nintendo game that horny since Fire Emblem Fates, and that was horny <laughs> in the bad way, and this game is horny in the good way. <laughs> yeah, this game is uh, very very horny. <laughs> I really, really want Ring Fit Trainer as a as a counter to Ring to Wii Fit Trainer in Smash. I really, really hope they do. Oh, that. see, I would see. I'm hoping for Drago. Oh, I know. I about to say, I know you're probably all about that Drago. 